This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 114. Today on our show, Matt Sledge. Every person that was on the air there wanted to be in radio, but also wanted to be there for the music. But we're also talking to the people about the music. We're not talking down to our audience. We're educating them about the audience, you know, about the music. We're having a conversation with you about this, just like radio used to be. Matt worked at 97X from the early 1990s until the station was sold in 2004, and he stayed on for a year afterward with the new owners. He uh, talks about that. And then uh, after that, he eventually wound up at WNKU over there across the river in northern Kentucky, where history pretty much repeated itself. Uh, Matt takes us through 97X's history, remembers some of his talented co-workers, talks about working at WNKU, and discusses the state of radio and music today. Now, if you've been liking the podcast, you can support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and kick it whenever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for the special promo code for 20% off near the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Matt Sledge. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I-Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at Cincy Shirts.com in Cincinnati. Hi, Darren. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us on this uh high-tech uh oh crap, I got feedback already. Let me let me mute something here. Okay, we're calling Josh. <clears throat> okay. Um, and if he answers, he answers, and if not, not. Cool. Yep. So where are you located, Matt? Uh, I am in lovely and scenic Oxford, Ohio. I thought so. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, all right, cool. And it looks like Josh is not joining us, as it looks like, so, but if he decides to jump on, I reckon he can. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay, well, Matt, I think we probably met in person somewhere along the way. Uh, what with we probably have, but I, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure if we have or not. It might have been at a concert or something. Yeah, that or right. um, I was around the station once, once or twice up there, uh, doing stuff for City Beat and uh, and things like that. So yeah, uh, and you know, we have some mutual friends. Uh, Rob Irvin was on the show two weeks ago. Yeah, I heard I heard that. And yeah. I did have one thing I wanted to touch on about that, about the station as well. Yes. But we can, we can get to that as, okay. as the time comes. All right, sounds good. Sound, yeah, because you were there uh, like full-time, right? And yes. Rob, okay, so yes, you, you have a lot more uh, uh, insight. So I guess um, a good place to start is, uh, are you from the area? Uh, well, here, here's my story. I was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, Over the office. Well, we, we we won't say the year, but <laughs> I, I bet I'm I bet I'm older than you. But uh, let's just say early seventies. Yes, um, I, I win. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, uh, moved to Bethel, Ohio, in well, yeah, in the early seventies, and that was when my dad started working at Procter and Gamble, and it was actually before that, and we moved to Bethel 
so that dad could, you know, commute an hour to Cincinnati back and forth. And then he got tired of the commute and was looking for something different. And then in 1979, he found a uh, teaching job at Miami University in the uh, paper science and engineering department. And that's when we moved to Oxford in uh, 79. So, and that's how I wound up in Oxford, basically. So, yeah, I, and to answer that question, where did I go to high school? Yes. <laughs> Talawanda High School in Oxford, Ohio. Uh, Gary Owen went there. Yes, he did. Yeah. And uh, haven't talked with Gary, but Gary was, you know, the same year as me. And we, oh. we you know, we, we talked in high school and stuff. But yeah, I'm uh, very proud of what he's done. Yes. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. So, so you were actually in Oxford when uh, WOXY was, I, I guess, was, was what a was a contemporary hit station, or was it what was it back in the late seventies, early eighties before the switch? Well, it started off as WOXR, and it was kind of it was kind of like contemporary hits, but I never really listened to it until around the early nineties, to be honest with you, oh. uh, full full time. Um, I did listen to it primarily, you know, in the eighties for Miami sports, because I was a huge Miami sports fan because both of my parents worked for the university. And then there was that, that musical switch that kind of hit right around, you know, 91, 92, which was a good time to get into everything there. I thought it was eight. Didn't they switch the format in 85? Yeah. They, well, the format switched in 83. Oh, and, three. They, and they switched the call letters to WOXY in uh, 81 when uh, Doug and Linda bought the station. Okay. All right. And uh, they came from Chicago. Yeah, and they uh, they did. They were a couple of entrepreneurs. They had worked in TV and media, and they found this little station for sale in Oxford, Ohio for $375,000, and they bought it. And uh, they kept the format for a while as uh, as – as the lore goes. They, they did keep the format, but they were looking for something different. And uh, one of the guys who was working at the station at the time, Steve Stankin, uh, Steve Dedalus, he kind of made the suggestion to switch to modern rock after he had gone out on a trip to Los Angeles and heard K-Rock out there. And, uh, so what were you doing at this point, though? Were you uh, going to college? Were you going to, I mean, were you into music? What was what was young Matt Sledge like? Uh, well, young Matt Sledge was kind of all over the map uh, as a kid. Uh, well, let me put it this way. My parents were like Beatles, Stones, Who, Queen fans. So I had that kind of upbringing. Also, Paul Simon, uh, you know, all of the, the hits of the 70s. I, I was growing up with that. And my number one band is the Beatles. I'll tell you that right now. So, but then I got into other genres of music as you do when you're growing up as a kid, top 40 rap. And then right around 91, 92 was when I finally discovered modern rock. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So that kind of the same thing happened to me. I was into oldies uh, <laughs> early in high school and then we got MTV uh, and I started listening to the BBC World Service, and all of a sudden yeah. I was like, yeah. And um, weirdly, like, people think that you abandon your old music when that happens, and I did not. I still liked all my old – the Beach Boys are still my favorite band. But um, sure. I didn't uh, 
I didn't abandon the stuff I liked from the 70s. I was telling my friend Pat Francis the other day, I still liked Queen and uh, the, the Electric Light Orchestra and all those, but I really got uh, into music once I discovered uh, New Wave and, and Alternative. And yet you can also see a lot of influence in, you know, like ELO and the Beatles yes. and all those bands in the New Wave stuff and, you know, going into the 90s as well. Yeah, our uh, sales manager, uh, Billy DeVore, huge ELO fan. And yeah, yeah. To- the t- total Beatles influence uh, there, and especially in a lot of the jangle bands, certainly influenced by the 60s pop. So uh, so yeah. So did you, was your career path going to be in broadcasting, or did you have other notions? Well, I had the stupid idea that I wanted to land on ESPN one day, which of course obviously never happened, but then the next best thing was radio. And I was always listening to radio as a kid, whether it was Marty and Joe or WLW back in the 80s when, you know, it wasn't, you know, scream in your face all the time <laughs> when when Bill Cunningham was actually entertaining at night and also listening to Miami sports, which uh, at the time it was Omar Williams doing the play by play and uh, Steve Baker uh, doing the color. Bake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and Bake was actually a pretty big influence on me getting into radio. And I think he knows that if he doesn't, he will soon enough. You're right. So, uh, and then I got, you know, the idea to go into radio once I started going to Miami in the uh, early 90s. So, Bake was there before the switch, wasn't he? Wasn't he one of the... He was actually, and it, it's funny, the radio station used to be located in Uptown Oxford, uh, actually underneath a Burger King, or a Burger Chef, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Oh, I did not to, know that. Yeah, there used to be a Burger Chef in Uptown Oxford. Uh, the building isn't there anymore. It's been replaced with another building. So you had the Burger Chef up top, which took the entire top floor, and there were like three or four stores in the basement along with the radio station, which was in the back. And uh, Bake would tell me that he used to work at the Burger Chef. Then when he was done with his shift, he'd go downstairs and work at the radio station. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is cool. Wow. Who who knew there was a Burger Chef 97X crossover? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Bake can tell you all about that. He's got some pretty good stories about that. So if you ever want to get in touch with him, I've got your number. Oh, great. Yeah, we, we probably want to track that guy down and, and talk a lot yeah. of uh, Miami sports as well, like you were saying. But um, did, he, uh, did he drop uh, free ads for that Burger Chef on the air all the time? Uh, to be honest with you, I do not know that. Test who's listening. Yeah. So so when I moved here, the station was already out on College Corner Pike, just out of town. Yes. So so when did they move out? When did they move out there? That would have been, it would have been the early 80s. And they had actually shared the building with a real estate company. And then eventually the real estate company moved to just down the street. And then, you know, 97X took over the entire building and actually put on a couple of different additions. And the funny story with that building was that the property used to be a mini putt-putt golf course. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and right out front, there's there was actually still like one one hole remaining that you really couldn't tell, but if you looked, it was there. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, just the concrete foundation. Yeah. 
Interesting. So, or, what? So you say you started listening in the '90s. Did you listen long before you started working there, or did you start listening and think, "Hey, I've got to work here"? Well, like I said, I did listen a little bit in the '80s, primarily for sports. Really, didn't listen for the music because at the time it wasn't my interest. But once I started listening in, you know, the early '90s, I was like, "Yeah, I think I could try to work there. Let, let's see, if, give this a shot." And I went to Miami for a couple of years, and let's just not go into that too much, but it didn't work <laughs> out too well for me. I wasn't ready for college. Mm. I then went to the Ohio Center for Broadcasting, uh, which actually worked out perfect for me. And that was in 93 that I started going there. And then in 94 was when I started interning at the station. Okay. So what did you, what were things you do as an intern? I know Rob touched on it. Uh, in his what, episode, but yeah, what I did was well to get the internship, I bugged the the program director, Phil Manning. Yes, I know Phil. Uh, yes, every week I would bug Phil. Now my problem with bugging Phil was was that I would do it on Tuesdays, and Tuesday is the absolute worst day to do that at the radio station at that time. Oh yeah, because it's when they publicize their music editions for the week. And everybody's calling in to get, you know. Get their ads. New, Can yeah, add that? Ads. Can we get that in exactly. heavy rotation? Can we play that in all day parts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and I didn't realize that at the time, but I bugged Phil enough as to where he threw me off to Julie Maxwell. I remember Julie. Wow. Yes. Yeah. For, I was doing promotions for Julie. And one of the things that I would do was, was that every week, with all of the new ads that we would do, we would send in CD requests to the record labels. And what we had to do was we had to type up a letter and we would, we had a form letter that was on an Apple two E or one of the old Apple twos. If you remember those yep. nice. and, you know, print it out on the laser printer <laughs> and then we would fax those off to the record companies. And that was one of the things that I was doing was that, and also helping Julie out with promotional events and stuff like that. And then I got thrown over to Jay Foreman to handle the phones for Request the X. Wow. So whatever happened to Julie, do you know? Uh, Julie Maxwell, well, after she left the station, she worked up in Detroit in radio for a few years. And then she got out of that. And I know she's married and has kids. I can't remember exactly what she's doing now. Okay, but she is, yeah, she's in Michigan. I remember um, Allie from around the same time. She went off and worked for uh, the coast over in Virginia, in Virginia Beach. Yeah, and she was also in Pittsburgh for a bit as well. And I think she's still right around that area, too. Man, there you go. And I know, who, yeah. did, who used to do the mornings? Uh, oh, I can't remember. Um, Brian, was it? Well, the morning show was, it was Rick and Dave. Dave. And, yeah. And when I got there, Damien was also there. Oh, yeah. And actually, like, one of the first days of my internship was Damien's last day. But Damien and I have also stayed in touch as well. And uh, that, that's been good to see. But, yeah, it's been, it was primarily Rick and Dave and also Julie Maxwell and Bake did it for a while as well. Uh, near the end there, and then Bake did it by himself the last few years. Yeah, I remember, um, uh, uh, I think Dave went on to work for a window company or something, and he still works there. He's their uh, media relations person or something like that. I don't know, but... uh, Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I remember Dave left and he went to work for Mead up in Dayton and he did that for a bit. That's right. Yeah. And then he, I, I didn't follow where he went to after that, but I've talked, been talking with Dave as well the past couple of years. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so, so you're interning, uh, doing all that stuff. And when do you finally get to be on the air and how, how does your trajectory go from be, being a full-time air personality? Well, let's see. 94, spring of 94 was when I got the internship. Then I started on the air in the fall of 94 and I was doing what you would call the extra beat shift. It's Saturday, midnight to six. I got hired to do that. Yeah. And uh, when yeah. my wife found out I had to drive all the way to Oxford on a Saturday night after working at the <laughs> Sam Goody in Forest Fair, she's like, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I did it. And then I would, uh, well, I was also working another job at the time at SDS Pizza in Oxford as, a, uh, as one of the managers. So I'd do my sh- midnight to six. Then I'd, you know, go over there and get ready to work for the day as well. So, yeah, it was it was kind of rough a little bit at times. So, how long did you do extra beats? I did that shift. Well, let's see. I well, I was part time until November of '96 when I got promoted full time overnights. But I'm pretty sure I did, you know, the extra beat shift. Uh, pretty much that entire time. There might have been some times where I filled in on an afternoon during the weekend or whatever. But yeah, that's when I got picked to do full-time overnights. So what do you think of doing extra beats? Because that's more was more of a dance mixy type of show. I mean, that's straight in my basket for someone who's kind of new to alternative music. Uh, was that kind of a, was it kind of hard to get into that groove, as it were? Not really, because it was all of this music that I had not been exposed to before. So it's like, ooh, I have all this new music I can figure out. And, you know, some of it was some of the stuff that we had on the playlist. But then that's where I, you know, discovered KMFTM and, you know, Ministry and all of those bands. So it it was kind of a good musical education to get. And so when you went full time, you said you, you did overnights first? Yeah. Yeah, I did overnights for, uh, two years and then got thrown into uh, seven to midnight, which was around, uh, I believe middle of 98. Okay. Wow. So were all these, uh, all these shifts live or. Oh yeah. Do you have Every, the ability to do it in the can or. We did not have the ability to do it in the can at the time. We actually did not get a computer in the production studio and in the regular studio until about 2000. Wow. And wow. when did streaming start? Streaming was uh, 97, 98, right around there. I think I might be a year off or two. But, yeah, that's it's right around that time. Yeah, that's when I jumped on. I, I came down uh, – I grew up northeast Ohio and came down and went to art school. And, uh, okay. So, so that's, where I, that's where I caught on was the, the streaming years. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say it was 97 or 98, but it might have been as early as 96, but I can't – Exactly. Remember. So yeah. Definitely. So did, they, did you guys ever get offers? You know, you get bought out by like Clear Channel or any of those mega companies that are, you know, uh, you know, either running indie brands out of business or else buying them up. Oh, I'm I'm sure that Doug certainly did. He's mentioned that he's gotten offers before, but he had never he had not wanted to sell. I mean, he had famously said in a spin article one time. He said. There's two things I won't sell. I won't sell my dogs, and I won't sell my radio station. And but of course, you know, 
in 2004, somebody came along with the right price and they were close to retirement age and they decided to take it. And, uh, and, and perhaps wisely in, in retrospect. Um, yeah. So Rob had mentioned something and this is something kind of happened to, to me too. We discovered that our love of broadcasting and our love of music were kind of two separate things and those two things didn't always mesh very well together. Uh, did you find that to be the case too? <laughs> That's what that's exactly what I wanted to touch on okay. was that every person that was on the air there wanted to be in radio, but also wanted to be there for the music. Yeah, that's so why that, that's why I applied there. Yeah. And we were kind of, you know, we were kind of all like that. So we we understood that. Yes, we are broadcasting. But yes, we also love music. And. But we're also talking to the people about the music. We're not talking down to our audience. We're educating them about the audience, you know, about the music. We're having a conversation with you about this, just like radio used to be. So do you remember when uh, Channel Z came on uh, down here in Cincinnati? I I, I do, yes. And uh, it's actually a funny story. Because the program director for Channel Z, Matt Harris, yes, is, he uh, was a 97X alum. That is, that is right. So he was obviously very familiar with the station. And I never really had any issues with them, although I did have an issue with Sterling one time. Oh, really? If, if it, oh, yeah. there's tea uh, of Sterling. All right. <laughs> there, there is tea. And I, I doubt he would even remember this, but it was when The Cure were in town back in uh, 96. Yeah. And so there was a backstage meet and greet. And of course, part of the deal was both 97X and Channel Z were involved. And Sterling wanted absolutely nothing to do with us. Didn't want to talk to anybody at 97X. Didn't want to look at anybody at 97X. Was just there with Channel Z. Didn't care who else was in the room. Hmm. So, I mean, I tried talking to him, but he was just like, nope, not having it. That's like, weird. Okay. Yeah, like, because okay. when I was in Pittsburgh at the alternative station there, we'd run into the the big, the EBN guy. Wait, I always get the two mixed up. DVE is their rock station. I, always, I will forever right. get them too confused. I've lived here 25 years, and I still get them mixed <laughs> up. Um, the big, they talked to us. They were super nice because they knew we were just starting out, and they were, you know, they, they'd been there. They'd been where we were. It couldn't yeah. have been nicer. So I, that's, that's really weird. Uh, my funny channel Z story, as I may have told this on the pod before, is, um, of course, Matt, uh, coming from 97X, they, they wanted to try to duplicate 97X's success, even yeah. though the station had trouble reaching Cincinnati. So they had this, uh, uh, Randy Michaels put together this big, uh, focus group and a convention center or a hotel thing, convention room in, uh, up in Sharonville or something. And you're invited to come and, and you had to pick which songs you liked. And at the very end, uh, he says, Hey, if you guys want to stick around and talk radio, we'd be love to chat with you about this some more. And Brandy Michaels, brilliant as he was as a broadcaster, could not figure out for the life of him why people liked when DJs talked on 97X but didn't care for it when other DJs and other stations talked. And everybody pointed out to him was because they know what they're talking about and they know about the music, man. And it never sank in. They never – they had – you know, they didn't have DJs on Channel Z. It was two big Univac computers with songs in them and Matt Harris and uh, Sterling voice tracking it and that was it. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. It was just like, well, here's the latest from so-and-so on Channel Z. Boom, yeah. that's it. And you you can see why, because we, we knew our music, and we yeah. tried to 
educate people about that at 97 Acts. I remember one time when they were st- when they were first starting that they were still having people in the manually running the CDs, and uh, I'm listening one day and an old gay starts up and I'm like, whoa, I, I might be sold on Channel Z now. This is great, mm-hmm. and like after 30 seconds it stops, and yeah. and if you leave comes on. So I call up the studio and I'm like, did you just start playing an old gay and then stop? And the guy's like, oh yeah, I hit the wrong track. <laughs> Oh, come you, on. you could have left it on, brother. <laughs> so yeah, just to, just to give you an idea. Um, so yeah, that was always kind of the. And Rob had mentioned this too that ninety seven X is you know it the thing that really uh, hamstrung it was that you couldn't quite reach all the way. I mean, we heard it in Eastern Hills here, and my wife and I moved here, but it was really tricky. I mean, once you got closer to Oxford, it was great, but uh, trying to cover the whole market was uh, was really difficult. Yeah, the, well, the, where the tower was located in Oxford was actually one of the highest spots in Butler County. But, you know, the thing with Cincinnati is that it's so hilly. Oh, yeah. It's, and then you also have this uh, big landfill right along 27, which, believe it or not, might have played a part in that because the signal basically, you know, it's directional. So it's pointing yeah. towards Cincinnati, pointing down. And then that signal might have blocked some of that a little bit because everything underneath that down in Cincinnati is underneath Rumpke. And so when you were um, do, doing your shift, then what, what other shifts did you end up doing? What other, and what other duties did you take on? Because uh, I know it was kind of, you know, like, like I used to call our station, we were like church mice with microphones. Yeah. Everybody had to wear a lot of hats. Well, yeah, starting from 98 on when I was doing the 7 to midnight I was the public service announcement director. I was the local music director. Oh, that's right. Uh, Yeah. So I was responsible for exposure and, you know, local licks and homebrew. And we can cover that later as needed. Uh, Local licks. I forgot all those. Yeah. Uh, Also did the production director duties, just making sure the commercials are getting produced and getting on the air. And from about 2000 on, was the assistant program director. Ah. Well, let's talk local licks. How did you get involved in that? Um, that was just basically since I took over to 7 to Midnight, that basically became my duties was, you know, to figure out who we were going to get on local licks Tuesday and Thursday night, you know, where we played a band, two songs. And then, of course, homebrew Sunday night at 10 o'clock where you did the hour full of local music. And, of course, we already know the history of local music in Cincinnati. Plenty of stuff to choose from there. And did anybody play live in the studio? I don't remember. Or was it was it all the, the recorded output? We actually did do some, like, lo- local licks lives where we would have an artist in to do three or four songs. And that was around 2002, 2003 that we did it. I know that we had Ryan Adcock. We had Bob Burns from Biggin, Iowa, and also Swarthy. Those are the three that I can remember that we did. And we might have done some more as well, but I, those are the three that I can remember off the top of my head. I remember when I first moved here, I entered the Local Licks contest with my band's demos only because I wanted a brick yeah. of SA90 tapes, which I never got, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so the Baylogs yeah, still owe me a brick of SA90s. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doug and Linda. That's good. Yep. Yeah, the expo- the exposure contest, which we did every year, that that was a chore <laughs> because um, we did the call out for bands, and we could wind up getting anywhere from one hundred to two hundred tapes. Uh, 
that we would have to listen to. And it is quite a chore to go through all of that music and figure out the top 20 bands. And who all determined that, that was a station or a staff-wide uh, determination, wasn't it? Yeah, it was usually three or four people, and we would grade them on a scale of one to three, one being no, three being yes, two being maybe. And you just add up the scores, basically. And just whittle it down from there. Yeah, exactly. That, that's how it worked, and that's how we determined the top 20. And, of course, we played the top 20 bands live, had a panel of judges in-house to determine who would go on to the semis. You know, I think I judged that one year, if memory serves. You, you probably did. At Bogart's. A lot of different people, yep. Yeah, and I sat next we, to Allie. That's how I met Allie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and we, yeah, we did the finals every year at Bogart's. And the semis were always at a different place, whether it was at Sudsies or Top Cats or I remember doing them at Warehouse when it was still open. Yeah. Um, another thing that popped into my head, the Modern Rock 500. Yes. Um, there was, well, really, that was more of the music department. I wasn't really involved with the music. I was more on the managerial side of things. But I did do... Some specialty shows, but to the Modern Rock 500, there was, I like to say that we had a panel of monkeys and hookers and blow select all of that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there was, there was a person who figured that out every year and really a lot of it just comes from airplay yeah. and requests. So, well, I don't know if uh, people rem- uh, know this, this is widely known, but one of the things that made 97 X so great was you didn't hear the same songs over and over again, and the reason that was, and maybe you can explain this a little better than I can, uh, but I remember y'all had a system, I noticed from a couple of visits there, that there was like a label on each uh, album and or CD, depending on what format it was, usually CD, I guess, by the time I was yeah. hanging out there, and you had to check off when you played it, and you couldn't play it for another like week or two, so if you played Boys Don't Cry by The Cure, you couldn't play, I mean, you had plenty of other stuff to choose from, and you could, So, but you couldn't play Boys Don't Cry for like one or two weeks, I think it was, as far as like deep cuts go and um i mean old cuts and it was was that am i describing that correctly am i yeah yes and no you are describing that correctly i I mean i don't want to say you're wrong but you are also kind of right in that regard you have different classifications of the older songs you've got what we would call the modern rock 500 songs which would be the hits Mm -hmm. and that would be in what we would call our f category you know f as in whatever f would be but (laughs) Basically, if you played that song on a Tuesday, you would mark it down, the date and the time, and it couldn't be played again for three days, and then it could be played after three days, but in a different day part. Aha, and, there we go. And then then the next category would be like the H category, which would be like below Modern Rock 500, but still recognizable songs, and those would have maybe like a week between plays. Okay. Or something like that. And then there's another category below that, which would be like minor, minor hits. And maybe there was like a month between that. And what about so, the what, what was the rotation like for the current stuff? The current stuff, uh, for the most part, I know we didn't go over usually 30 times a week on like the top hits. So... I know that like the big hits, it might have been every four or five hours, but and usually sometimes it was six hours. 
but for like the big artists, like with a big new release, we take that down to four. But you wouldn't hear like say the same Radiohead four, you know, four times a day. It would be a different new Radiohead song, so you wouldn't tire out of it as quickly. And usually it would be like every either six hours or eight hours or ten hours, depending on what rotation it was in. So yeah, the most that we spun anything in any given week was, you know, twenty five to thirty times a week, and that's pretty low. Someone sent us uh, their a picture of their original Modern Rock five hundred T shirt, and I put it somewhere, Darren, and I don't know where it's at. I'll look on my computers and see, but we need to get that sorted. Yeah, especially with uh, Memorial Day coming up, because that's when that, of course, would run every year. Um, So the the, famously in spin, Doug had said he would never sell the station, but the the grumblings start happening in the early 2000s. You know, the radio landscape starts to change, and uh, and rumors fly. When do you start to become aware that something may be amiss? Well, to be honest, I really had no idea. That Well, I, I, I kind of knew that the streaming was kind of eating into things a little bit. And you, you kind of note, excuse me, you kind of notice when you're on the air that, you know, the commercial loads, not as heavy as it used to be. Hmm. But nobody's really saying anything. And that's fine. And then there was one day in uh, January 2004, I want to say it was around the 27th or the 28th coming to work like any other day. And then I get called into a meeting with Doug and Linda, and that's when they say that they're selling the station. And it was like, okay, what do we do now? <laughs> wow. So what's it like yeah. in that room then? Well, you know, the, the thing, the way that Doug and handled it was great because they met with everybody brilliantly or everybody individually. And so, you know, you you weren't all in a meeting at once when they said, hey, we're selling the station. Oh, okay. Yeah, which, which was kind of different than what happened with WNKU, and we can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, I definitely want to get to get to that. The, 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 yeah, the only problem with meeting with everyone individually is once you find out, you can't say anything until you find out that the other person knows. Yeah. So, Ooh, man. Yeah. And so – when that happens, I know that – how long did they did the, did the station stay on after the announcement? I can't remember. I wrote an article about it for City Beat, and I, it's been 15 years, so I don't remember the, the, the timeline exactly. Well, they had been talking with First Broadcasting before that, uh, obviously for some time. And I, it was probably like six months before that. But they had signed the deal the day before, I believe, and then started telling everybody – that, you know, we've got six months left. So, yeah, because, okay. the, yeah, the last day of broadcast was uh, May 13th, 2004. So what did you do in that six months? Did you, you know, uh, you start sending out tapes or uh, in what, what were you thinking? Well, it, it's funny that you do ask that because I actually ended up with the new owners of The Signal which was first broadcasting, and I was hired on as the program director. Okay, I thought and, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and then they also uh, one of the things that they the uh, there's a station east of us here in in uh, Georgetown. It's also on the ninety seven seven signal, and they bought that and just made it one station. Is that correct? That that is correct. That is what they actually ended up doing was making the ninety seven seven into one signal eventually. And they kept 
the alternative format at first. Were two ninety-seven sevens. They did it. They did for. Well, here's what they did, and I'm trying to remember this as best. After the sale happened in May, uh, you had the ninety-seven-seven, which was you know broadcasting out of Oxford, and then you also had the ninety-seven-seven, which was broadcasting out of Georgetown on its own country signal. But those two did not merge until two thousand five, when they did the ninety-seven-seven and the ninety-nine-five changed to the variety hits format and uh that would have been memorial day 2005 so how did you wind up with them though did they did the new owners come in and say hey we still need some people to stick around or yeah exactly they they came in and they interviewed anybody that wanted to work with the new station and i'm almost certain i was the only one that uh, wanted to work with the new station because they had not planned to keep me for the uh, the internet only stream for ninety seven X, and I was fine with that. Well, yeah, we can uh, talk about that too. Um, when did talk about that? Because that seemed like kind of was going to be a sort of a separate branch of this whole thing. Well, I, I was, you know, they had been talking about that ever since the sale was announced, and I know. I was never really involved with that. I'll tell you that right now. It was going to, I know it was going to be Brian Bard, Mike and Shiv. And that's all that they felt that they really needed. And I was fine with that. So I interviewed with the new owners of the station and they took me on. And did you think that the new owners would keep the alternative format for longer? Do you think they were just want to program something while they figured out because they were, they owned a lot of religious stations, didn't they? Wasn't <laughs> They were actually just a state, uh, a company that owned – well, primarily what they did was they bought outer signal stations like 97X and then, mm-hmm. moved, and then moved them elsewhere like closer to a regional market. And at the time, they had owned maybe 12 stations. And so, yeah, that's what their plan was. But uh, it, it kind of worked and it also didn't work out for them in the end. <laughs> So what? So what happened with you and them? When when was uh, when did that uh, when did that break down? I guess. So well, after you know the sale happened and the, the change happened, uh, being X ninety seven point seven, and we had moved the station from Oxford to Georgetown, and part of the deal was was that we were broadcasting from Georgetown back to the tower in Oxford on the cheap on a DSL line. Holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) So if something happened with the DSL line, I'm living in Cherry Grove. So if the DSL line goes down, I need to figure out if it's in Georgetown or if it's in Oxford. And luckily I could call someone in Oxford and say, hey, what's going on? But there would be times where I'd have to drive to Oxford and fix things in Oxford, then go back, and everything's fine. But it's where they would choose Georgetown of the two because Georgetown is like forever out there. Well, the reason why Georgetown was chosen was because of the other 97.7 and uh, 99.5. They were in the same building. Yeah, that's why. All right. And then uh, so how long were you with them? Uh, I was with them for a year, and I knew going in, and they had told me that this would not last long. They said two or three years, and I was fine with that. And the year that I was there, 
I actually got paid pretty good just to babysit a computer, basically. Oh, but I was I was also on the air every afternoon and uh, did some production and sales. Cool. And then what happened after that? After I got laid off Memorial Day weekend, 2005, there was uh, only one person in radio that actually got in touch with me. And that was Mr. K, of course, who used to be at WEBN. And he told me, it was like, hey, get in touch with, you know, the program director at EBN and maybe they can bring you on. So, of course, I started calling him, but nothing ever happened after a few months. And I was just like, well, I just got to get a regular job. And I went and got a regular job. So kind of ducked out of radio for a bit. Hmm. And I'm I'm sure you missed it. Well, yes and no. The year that I was working for, you know, the new owners of the station, it just, it wasn't ideal. I'll say that right now. Because what the station was, was actually, it was actually programmed, it it was a modern rock satellite format is what it was. And... You had guys in Oklahoma, or no, it was Nebraska, who were talking about things happening in Cincinnati. And you had to tell them what was Uh, going on and all that other stuff. But I had my own shift during the weekday. But otherwise, they knew what was going on locally. But you also had to give them a pronunciation guide so they wouldn't mispronounce Redding Road. Yeah, and and Clough (laughs) Pike and all that. Yeah. Somebody else was telling me about that once. I don't even know if it was on this show or another show or something. But yeah, where they they had to send all the uh, different uh, neighborhood names and and all that and little things they could pepper the conversation with about, oh, it's, you know, people don't like going to Norwood and things like that. And and no offense, Norwood. People think that. It's not true. Um, But yeah, that's, that's so crazy. Uh, then you finally uh, hooked on with uh, NKU. Uh, how and when did that happen? Well, that, that's a good one. I like telling this story because let, let's go. Let's backtrack a little. Bit. Sure, sure. Back in back in two thousand three, I had met John Patrick at WNKU. He was a music director at the time. We had met at the Midpoint Music Festival back when they were still doing music conferences, music panels. And he and I were on a panel together about how to get your local music on the radio. So that's where we had initially met. But after that, we had never really talked. But then when WNKU tweaked their format in 2015, in the middle there, I'd made a couple of posts on Facebook about it. And he saw them. And then he contacts me on Facebook. And what he basically says is, Hey, do you want a job with us? Because we could use you. And I was like, yeah, sure. Tell me what's going on. And, you know, we got in touch there. And I came in for a meeting with him and the general manager at the time, which was Sean O'Mealy. And uh, I had basically already had the job just by walking in the door. So that's how I got started there, just doing weekend work and filling in during the weekday. Uh, so, but that was a full time gig for you then? No, that was that was just part time. Okay. Uh, so, but and I was fine with that. I was back on the radio, and they were doing something there that you know what they had basically done with the radio station was make it a carbon copy of the current out of uh, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. 
Yeah, it's what they uh, call the, uh, for young folks out there, the AAA format. Am I correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they had tweaked the AAA format that they had had. They, they stepped away from the folk and the jam bands and more towards the current stuff. So it, it was kind of a rocky transition as well. So did you have any input as far as what you played, or was it? did you have to stick to a, a, a rotation or a certain set of albums? I know different stations, especially alternative stations, do it differently. It was it was a strict playlist uh, at WNKU. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, but I did have some freedom in doing the uh, the mixtape show on Friday nights, if you remember that the eighties and nineties. Oh yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mixtape on Friday nights. That was one of the shows I hosted. I forgot about that. How would you go up go about picking the music for that? Well, the show was actually started by uh, by the general manager, Sean O'Mealy. And the, the, the idea for the show was the 70s and 80s New Wave Punk Rock Mixtape. And it was going to be one time a month. They do it one, like the first Friday of every month. Uh, and then the feedback was so great from both listeners and sponsors. We decided to do it every week. And instead of having Sean host it, I would be the one that would host it. And then... Right around that time as well was when Sean was getting ready to leave, go out the door and move to a different job. Because at that point, the stale had been announced already. And that's when I took over and I had uh, added a whole bunch of other uh, 70s and 80s songs into the mix. It's, it's uh, surprising someone else doesn't get that sorted. I mean, the, the project is their flashback lunch at, at noon. And yeah. uh, which they say is programmed locally. I don't believe that for a second. But um, I mean, it is. It's not too bad, actually. You do actually hear some stuff you don't normally hear. Uh, although, if you were to listen to it, you would probably think if you came from another planet and landed here, you would think, "Oh, this band called the Ramones has a song." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, it, it is like that. But <laughs> and also to give you some other information, I really haven't listened to local radio at all for the past two and a half years. Uh, I haven't listened to WLW. The only thing I've really listened to is WVXU. But music right now, just I, I don't want to deal with it. Do you listen to music at all still? Do you like stream it? Do you? Well, well, and also here's the other thing is that I went through two radio station shutdowns. And both of those radio stations I absolutely loved working at. So if I listen to music too long, I start getting depressed. I was going to say, yeah, so it kind of killed a uh, – working at a record store did the same thing for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for about sure. the, I got over it finally, but for about two years, man, I was like, no. Nah. I just wasn't in the music, for two, which is crazy <laughs> if anybody that knows me. But yeah, I could not listen, really listen to music very much for that time because yeah. what a horrible experience it had been. Um, but what, with the NKU shutdown, how, how long were you there before those rumblings started happening? Well, I started in August of 15, and then it was in March or April of the next year was that we had a mandatory meeting. Of course, when I, when we got the email, it didn't say what the meeting was for. So everybody's in there, all of the staff members. Then the vice president of the university comes walking in, uh, Eric Gentry, if uh, my memory's correct there. And he just came out and said, hey, we're looking to sell the station. And I was just like, oh, great. Here we go again. So, yeah. And the thing was, was they, they kind of handled it really weird, was that they announced, you know, the request for proposals to sell the station. So we were dead men walking for the next year and a half. 
Oh, wow. That long. Yeah. Well, that's how long it was from when, you know, they were looking to sell the station to when uh, 105.9 went off the air for the last time. Oh, so they told you right when they were when they put it on the block as opposed to when Dog and Linda had closed the deal and then told everybody. Exactly. Ah, so, interesting. Yeah. And did it surprise you that a university would sell the radio station? Yes and no. Um, I think WNKU's, well, Northern Kentucky University's priorities were changing. They, well, and also WNKU had not been making any money for a while. And part of that was because when they bought those signals back in, what was it, 2011? They bought the signals and they weren't up to date. And they overpaid for them. So they overpaid for the signals, and then they have to pay to upgrade the signals. Up, upgrade the signals in what way? Uh, the, the transmission facilities. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, the transmitter facilities, I should say. Uh, so they had to upgrade the buildings, upkeep, and all of that. And, of course, as you know, that stuff is not cheap at all. So they're losing money on that, and there's not enough money coming in. So, And that's part of why you know the tweak to the format was – Maybe we could get some more money if we do this. And while it did work out, they just decided to cut their losses. Hmm. I guess, yeah, I guess I forget. It's uh, it's still a public radio station, as we know. Uh, like you, WVXU, you mentioned, you know, they're every, you know, what, three, four months they're on, you know, with, with their hand out because they, they got to be to make yep. up that gap that they're, they're not – uh, you think that kind of um, hurt him a bit? Is that there was a, a, a the powerful station from well Xavier, and then later sold to Cincinnati Public Radio, kind of competing in the same space in a way? To be honest, I had not been there long enough to figure out that question. You know, I was there maybe two years, but I think we occupied enough of a niche as to where there wasn't really any you know, competition. Yeah, because I remember um, uh, WNKE would run NPR programming in the morning, but only till 9, where yeah. VXU would run it, would run morning edition till 10, and then run, you know, other programming the rest of the day, and then NKU would switch to music. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, yeah, and the thing is, we, we all, really all that we played from NPR after, you know, we got, after I got there was World Cafe, but then for some strange reason, we relegated that to three or four in the morning, which I have no idea why we did that. But, yeah, and uh, that's all I know. <laughs> when you're World Cafe, set an alarm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, uh, you leave uh, – the NKU thing goes, and then are you just like you were saying earlier, just kind of done with the radio and it soured on the whole thing? I had, I had kind of soured on it at that point in, yeah, in 2017 – it was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. And so I, I had friends who were like, hey, you, you should go look and find some radio jobs. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I've already been through two station shutdowns, and I don't really feel like relocating to someplace across the country for a job that who knows how long it'll last. Exactly. And wind up relocating somewhere else in right. six months. Yeah. Interesting. So, did I know people that are more than happy to relocate every six months for a radio job? And I'm not. I just like to be stable. 
Yeah, I never really thought about that when I started to go into broadcasting, that you'd have to move around a lot. Uh, and because the people I listened to growing up mostly were at the stations I listened to for a long time. I guess some people changed it, but that never, I never really considered that. Yeah, there we did have some people like at 97X who came through, were there for a cup of tea, and then moved on to other markets. You know, like one of our music directors, he came in from Minnesota and actually used to work at uh, Rev 105 in Minnesota, if you remember that back in the day, uh, which which was kind of like a precursor to how the alternative and AAA format would end up. But he came in and then went to Burlington, then was out in Denver, and he would have three or four radio jobs in five years. And he didn't have a problem with that at all. Bill Hemmer worked at 97X for a little bit. Yes, he did on the weekends. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of famous people who have uh, rolled through 97X, and you've had them on your podcast too. Yeah, we need to track down Bill Hemmer. That'd be great. I, ta- I interviewed yeah. him once for City Beat, and he was telling me that he knew nothing about the music. And now he'd, <laughs> all his buddies would phone him up, called him up, and told him what to play. And he was just, that's, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So uh, what are you doing these days? Uh, I, you know, you're going to laugh, but I'm working in the hotel industry these days. Okay. Uh, I am working at a hotel that is located in Uptown Oxford. We are actually currently closed right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but I am working from home for the hotel, uh, still taking reservations for the future, dealing with, dealing with group sales. I can handle everything from home for the hotel. So I'm just glad right now in this current climate to have a paycheck. Yeah, it's uh, we've been weirdly busy, uh, and just hoping it it it, uh, it keeps going that way. But um, yeah, what what's the word in the hotel industry? What's the, what are they kind of planning for? Well, it depends. To be honest with you, we're we're an independently owned hotel, so I'm not in oh, okay. any franchise stuff. Um, it just depends on when things calm down and things start getting back to whatever a new normal may be. And I think in this day and age, we don't know what a new normal is going to be. So we're just going to have to play it by ear. Do you sense that people will be dying to get out? Or do you think people will be used to staying home and not going places as much? My wife and I keep having this debate. Well, you know, I was looking at Twitter this morning. And I, I, I don't know if you follow the news or not, but there are some people that think that we're becoming an oppressed state thanks to the government. And we can talk about this for all you want, how, you know, this is tyranny, how we're being held in our homes. So you have some people who are totally adamant about being reopened on May 1st and then because they want to get out and reopen the country. But if things are going as they are right now, you, you just got to play it safe and you've got to be sensible. I don't think I'm, we're going to be reopening our hotel, at least not anytime soon, not until the end of May, at least, as long as things start calming down and people do their social distancing. That was kind of a weird answer to your question. I'm sorry about that. Oh, no, that's fine. I was just curious. Um, any notion of maybe doing one of these here podcasts? I, well, you know, and actually that you mentioned that, I had actually been with Inhaler for a little bit after um, WNKU. 
doing my own show every Friday night. And, you know, and that was great for a while, but it just got to the point where I was like, well, I'm being reminded of, I'm not sure if I really want to keep doing this. Uh And yeah. So, but I did that with inhaler for, I think it was like six or seven months. And I thought about doing a podcast, but then it's about putting all this content together. And I already have too much going on on my personal life as to where I'm fine where I am right now. Well, there's a lot more work to it than people realize. I can vouch for oh, that. Oh, I know that for a <laughs> fact, yes. So. Uh, anything we didn't cover, D, that you can think of? Oh, man. I was wondering, you know, just as far as the music goes, uh, in-studio appearances, or you have any, like, celebrity encounters uh, that... Uh, oh, there got to be tons. Yeah, either uh, good or bad. Well, let's see. I've met Henry Rollins. Nice. Yeah, Henry. Henry's great. Henry is a little short guy, but you you think when you see him, he's like this big, tall, six foot six strapping gentleman. But no, he's five seven, five eight, but he's built like a tank. Um, also met Love and Rockets. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, the Dave Matthews Band. We had them in studio right before Under the Table and Dreaming broke big. Uh, that was when they opened for Big and Todd and the Monsters down in Cincinnati. Um, and we just had a, just a bunch of different people, like also Jeanette from Concrete Blonde. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that was another one that, that stuck out. She so, was the playout tune on uh, Rob's episode. Oh, no, on uh, the Chip Chinnery episode last week. We did Stolen yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, just a lot of different people. And there, there's just so many. Um, so, and also... It was actually kind of funny because I can remember when I was with WLXY.com for a bit as a volunteer for a couple of years and did see a a few lounge acts down there as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, we've come to the point of the program. And since you've listened before, you know this, that you get to pick the the promo code for folks visiting the website uh, and maybe the store someday. Who knows? But um, (laughs) – it's only good for a week. It's only good until the next episode drops, kids. So, um, yeah. so what, what would you like the promo code for this episode to be, Matt? Well, well, since we're talking about 97X and since you do sell 97X T-shirts, yes, uh, I think the only appropriate promo code should be 97X. Okay. I don't think – oddly, I don't think we've used that one yet. Um, so we will do and, that. And uh, if we have, I'll tell people on the other side. But, uh, well, great, man. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, and good luck with the lockdown and everything. Yeah, thank you. Okay. We we have been wanting to do this for almost what two years now. Yeah, and we uh, we said we were going to try to come up, but then uh, yeah. we got busy. And I know you're it, you're it's difficult for you to travel all the way down to Cincinnati and yeah. things like that. So yeah, so the uh, the lockdown worked in our favor on this one at least. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's good. Yeah, it's good to get this done and out of the way. So yep. I do appreciate it. Thank you. Great, man. Okay, well, uh, thanks again for taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later, guys. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Matt. Good much. We'll yep. see you. Radio. Matt Sledge, that song is a little before his time, but still fitting as it was heard on 97X uh, quite a bit back in the day. 
And uh, also, if all you know is she blinded me with science, kids, please uh, do a deeper dig on Thomas Dolby. You'll do, be doing yourselves a favor, even just that album. Uh, so, I mean, not that Blinded by Science is a bad song, but believe me, the, the dude's got way more in the, in the tank than that. And so uh, thanks to Matt for taking a break and chatting with us today, of course. And uh, still a lot of love for 97X and WNKU. We still sell a lot of 97X shirts, I'll tell you. If there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like to have us back again on the podcast, email us podcast at zinzyshirts.com. Put podcast guest in the subject line. Then tell us who you'd like to hear or who you'd like us to have back and why. And if it's somebody new, maybe get a little bio and you can tell us why you think they would be a good guest for the show. Also, use that same email address to support the show and kick on every feel is fair, really, honestly. Podcast at zinzyshirts.com. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected to the tri-state. And if you haven't already, as I always advise you to do, go back and plunder those Cincy Shirts archives. A lot of great episodes back there, and especially uh, during the lockdown now. Uh, you have plenty of time to catch up on those. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can hear all of their music at iTunes, Spotify, or where else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and a whole lot more at oldschoolshirts.com. Lots of defunct sports teams, old shopping centers, restaurants, radio stations, and the like. It's like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is 97X. That's just 97X. You can do the X uppercase or lowercase. It should not matter. And uh, yeah, there's no dash in there or anything like that. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or both. And you can also, well, if uh, the brick-and-mortar stores are open, you could use it there, uh, but you can't. But in future episodes when you're listening and the stores are opened up again, uh, the promo code does work in the stores when they're open. And those would be, of course, in over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and Lublin. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest in T-Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the show from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.